Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 10th November 2023. This is Ian Haydock. In this episode, US approval for Lilly's obesity drug, a look at the future of the obesity market, BMS's ADC deal, Roche's MS plans, and one Chinese company's plans for CAR-T in the US. Eli Lilly is officially entering the blockbuster-sized obesity market with the US FDA approval of ZepBound on 8th November, setting the stage for a commercial showdown between two long-standing rivals, Jessica Merrill writes. Nova Nordisk has the advantage of launching first into the market with its GLP-1 agonist, Wagovi, in 2021, but the company has struggled to keep up with the demand for the drug, something Lilly now hopes to capitalise on. We are prepared to fully launch and have product available at supply, CEO David Ricks said during a same-day press briefing. Are there scenarios where we don't sustain that? Sure, but we are prepared for a big, bold launch here toward the end of the year. ZepBound is coming to market about two years behind Wagovi, but since demand for Wagovi has outpaced supply in the US and it has been unavailable in most parts of the world, ZepBound is expected to get off to a strong start. The sister version of ZepBound, the version of terzepatide approved for diabetes and marketed as Munjaro, is fully available, Ricks said. We are investing in manufacturing like never before, he added. Lilly has doubled its capacity to produce Incretin medicines from one year ago, he noted. Bunjaro was approved in May 2022 and has already grown into a massive seller for Lilly, generating $1.4 billion in the third quarter, with presumably some of that coming from off-label use in obesity. Nova Nordisk, like Lilly, also markets a semaglutide formula approved for diabetes and marketed as Ozempic. In a competitive play, Lilly is undercutting Wagovi on price. The list price for a one-month supply of ZepBound will be approximately 20% lower than the list price for Wagovi 2.4mg, the higher of two maintenance doses, according to Lilly. ZepBound will be available by the end of November in six dosage strengths. Our goal, what we are trying to solve for, is how we can work with other healthcare stakeholders to increase the access for people who live with obesity, President of Lilly Obesity and Diabetes, Mike Mason, said. Nova Nordisk's Wagovi and Lilly's Munjaro are just the start of a promising new obesity market, and while those drugs have demonstrated impressive weight loss, drug developers are already turning their attention to the next generation of obesity medicines and how to address remaining unmet needs. R&D leaders of companies at the forefront of obesity research discussed some of the next potential frontiers for the metabolic disease area during a panel session at the Galleon Forum in New York on 26th October, Jessica Merrill writes. With substantial weight loss already seen with the first drugs for obesity, the GLP-1 agonist Wagovi and the GLP-1 GIP agonist Munjaro, developing new drugs that deliver even more weight loss probably isn't going to be the highest priority, the researchers agreed. We have come a long way and it's really great where we are. It's also very clear that there are some gaps we need to fill. Boehringer Ingelheim, Global Head of Cardiometabolic Disease Research, Soren Tullin said. The current generation of weight loss drugs and drugs in clinical trials are achieving life-changing levels of efficacy. Lilly's Chief Scientific and Medical Officer and Lilly Research Laboratories President Daniel Skowronski said. 
Munjaro, for example, demonstrated an average 22.5% weight loss in patients treated with the highest 15 mg dose in the Phase 3 Surmount 1 trial. There'll probably be one more generation of drugs from Novo, Lilly and others that hopefully can even exceed that. But after that, it's probably not about more and more weight loss for most people, Skovronsky said. Refining the quality of weight loss that people experience, understanding maintenance, improving tolerability, developing more convenient oral dosing regimens and exploring combination regimens will be top priorities. Several drug makers are developing oral obesity medicines in mid to late stage programs, something that's viewed as a big near-term commercial opportunity. Preserving or even improving muscle mass alongside weight loss is something we're working on, Skovronsky said. One concern with the current weight loss drugs is that individuals can lose lean muscle as well as fat. In July, Lilly paid $1.92 billion to buy Versanis Bio, which is developing an antibody that binds the active in type 2, A and B receptors and that's shown promise in early clinical trials for reducing fat while increasing lean muscle mass. Nova Nordis Chief Medical Officer Stephen Guff agreed that area of research is critical to the development of next-generation drugs. I think we've reached a stage where the magnitude of weight loss is pretty good, he said. I think the question that we're really starting to ask ourselves is what is the quality of that weight loss? Novo Nordisk, Lilly, Pfizer and Amgen are among the drug makers in the race to bring oral GLP-1 drugs to market, with Novo squarely in the lead, having already announced positive Phase 3 data for a high-dose version of oral semaglutide that delivered similar weight loss to injectable Orgovi. The recent deal between Bristol-Myers Squibb and Orem Therapeutics is by no means the biggest for antibody drug conjugates to have been signed this year, but it is notable for the interesting combination of technologies it employs, Elizabeth Cairns writes. BMS paid $100 million up front to acquire Orem's ORM6151, a preclinical stage anti-CD33 antibody conjugated to a degrader of GSPT1, a translation termination factor being explored as a therapeutic target for the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia. The US FDA has approved a phase 1 study in AML or high-risk myelodysplastic syndromes. Orem claims ORM6151 is a first-in-class GSPT1 degrader, but this is not strictly accurate. BMS has previously discontinued two GSPT1 degraders of its own, both small molecules developed in partnership with Celgene. The US major can the first, CC885, a few years back owing to toxicity concerns, and switched to another similar product, CC90009. However, in September this year, BMS said it was also dropping that, again because of side effect worries. As an ADC, ORM6151 could improve the therapeutic window over these past offerings by allowing precise delivery of the GSPT1 degraded payload to cancer cells. At the American Association for Cancer Research meeting in April, ORM posted data suggesting that ORM6151 had better efficacy than either CC90009 or Pfizer's CD33 targeting ADC MiloTarg, approved for AML in 2017, 
as well as showing minimal cytotoxicity to healthy hematopoietic progenitor cells. The AACR data was all based on in vitro research, however, so the assertion of better efficacy and tolerability very much remains to be proven. Moreover, there is another GSPT1 degrader ahead of ORM6151. Monte Rosa Therapeutics calls MRT2359 a GSPT1 molecular glue degrader and is already conducting human trials. One interesting question is why BMS plumped for ORM6151 over Monte Rosa's more advanced asset. Perhaps price is the answer. The deal is small, with potential milestones coming in to just $80 million. This is in sharp distinction to BMS's other ADC deal this year, in which a $23 million upfront payment to Tubulis could be followed by up to $1 billion in milestones, with royalties on top. Roche's neuroscience portfolio is an increasingly important part of its plans for growth, and the firm has highlighted a number of candidates that it hopes will have best-in-class blockbuster potential, Andrew McConaughey writes. The Swiss firm presented an update on its neuroscience portfolio on 30th October in a virtual investor relations meeting, picking out in particular its prospects in the competitive areas of multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's disease. Later that same day, its partner, Sarepta, announced disappointing news from another hoped-for neuroscience blockbuster, Duchenne Gene Therapy Elevidis, the treatment having failed to hit the primary endpoint in its Phase 3 Embark study. That has knocked confidence in the drug's future, though Roche, which holds ex-US marketing rights, said it would nevertheless begin talks about submitting it for approval in the EU and elsewhere. Analysts have identified a roughly $8.55 billion gap in Roche's earnings opening up between 2022 and 26, due to biosimilar competition for its older products. The Swiss company is confident it can plug this gap with new products, led by robust revenues of around 4.3 billion Swiss francs in this period from its newly launched ophthalmology drug, Verbismo. However, during the update, it also sought to convince that neuroscience drug candidates not fully on investors' radars, such as brain shuttle-delivered Alzheimer's candidate Trontinimab, could also make a significant contribution. Existing neuroscience drugs already account for around 14% of Roche's total revenues, making it second only to oncology as its most important therapy area. Roche already has a multiple sclerosis market leader in its CD20-targeting antibody drug, Ocrevus, which earned about $5.2 billion in the first three quarters of this year. The company plans to extend that lead with a new subcutaneous version, with positive Phase 3 data recently unveiled, as well as ongoing Phase 3 studies of a higher dose to help patients whose disease continues to progress. However, it's facing greater competition in MS in the burgeoning BTKI field, where a number of players are competing to bring the class already established in hemato-oncology, into MS treatment. These promise efficacy similar to Ocrevus, but with the convenience of once-daily oral dosing. The most advanced in the class, Sanofi's tolibrutinib, could produce Phase 3 data in April 2024, putting it ahead of Roche's own candidate, fenobrutinib, for which Phase 3 results are not expected until late 2025.
Speaking on the virtual presentation, Paolo Fontura, who's Roche's global head of neuroscience, immunology, ophthalmology and infectious disease, said he believed fenibrutinib had best-in-class potential. Roche's candidate is the only reversible non-covalent BTKI, a profile which may help it reduce off-target effects and have a superior safety profile compared to rivals while maintaining brain penetration and efficacy. The article also takes a detailed look at Roche's strategy in Alzheimer's disease, so do check it out in full. Finally, founded six years ago, Shanghai-based, US Nasdaq-listed Graycell Biotechnologies is now aiming to bring its lead asset, the dual-targeting CD19 and BCMA CAR-T cell therapy GC012F for multiple myeloma to the US market. Founded with the promise of pushing multiple assets forward, the Chinese company is now keenly focused on this goal while developing allergenic therapies and investigating Cloudin 18.2 antibodies for solid tumours in mainly domestic investigator-initiated studies. The autologous cell therapy, GC012F, having persistent efficacy and next-generation safety, the company says, and being developed for first-line use, will be leading the way for the company to go global, CEO and founder William Wei Kao told Scripps Brian Yang in an exclusive interview on 25th October in Shanghai. GC012F is based on the firm's proprietary fast CAR-T platform and now in Phase 1B2 development in the US and is expected to be very effective and cost-effective for all markets, Kao emphasised. Apart from manufacturing issues, cost and affordability play a big role in the consideration of CAR-T therapies which are routinely priced at more than half a million dollars outside China. Cow said his company hopes GC012F will be able to cut lengthy turnaround times for CAR-Ts to make it easier for US physicians to prescribe. Such therapies require deriving, engineering and re-infusing a patient's white blood cells over a median time period of 71 days for processing. A faster process would help to convince physicians willing to use cell therapies earlier but who want to avoid the lengthy process, suggested Cow. It's not so much about costs and side effects, but faster delivery, stressed the executives, saying that such times could be shortened to around 12 days. Entering the cell therapy scene as a latecomer, Cow also said his company is effectively jumping the line in multiple myeloma, studying the product in newly diagnosed patients rather than in later-line treatment. Encouraging data will be presented at the American Society of Hematology meeting in December, the CEO said. Check out the audio interview in full, also available as a podcast, to hear all about Grassell's strategy and plans for the US market and its pipeline. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. The stories mentioned here are linked below in the description and form just a small part of Scripps' global coverage last week. If you already subscribe, log in to access all of our content. Otherwise, take out a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.